This episode of Hummel and Fred is brought to you by Bodog, Gig Sky, The Retirement Sherpa, The Chambers Plan, Health Gauge, Hush Blankets, Relaxacare, and DraftKings. Hello, I'm Toronto Mike, producer of Humble and Fred. In her 48-year career, Christy Blatchford worked for all four Toronto-based newspapers, The Globe and Mail, The Toronto Star, The Toronto Sun, and The National Post. Lung cancer took her on February 12, 2020. Here's her one visit to the Humble and Fred studio. Just hanging out with uh, Christy Blatchford, who uh, has fallen in love with Stan, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of dogs do you have? I have one dog. I have an one dog. I have an English Bull Terrier, uh, white Don Cherry dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, his name is Obi. Did you not years and years ago? And I said this the other day. Did you not have a dog named Blux? Yes, I did. That's, and I remember when Blux passed away, and the the column you wrote. And as a dog owner thinking, wow, that sort of nails it. He was a great dog, too. And he I used to work at the Sun in those days. And he would mm-hmm. come into the office with me every day and would lie by my desk and polish his balls to a high sheen. Each and every morning. He was famous for it. It's right. funny because Phil does the same thing. <laughs> that is what, what a coincidence. And uh, we can't, no matter what we do, I said, Fred, we got to stop Phil from doing that. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to our pro. Program. For very, very many years, uh, this uh, human being has been delighting and uh, inspiring in getting us Canadians to think about the world in a different way. She's worked as, uh, she just mentioned, the Toronto Sun, the star of the Globe and Mail, the National Post. How come? She's like us. Can't keep a gig. Uh, she has won uh, awards for her columns and has been covering some of the most difficult subjects uh, for the last quarter century. Say hello to our, our guest this morning, Christy Blashford. Yeah, I, uh, you know, there was a time when Humble and Fred used to do a show on a radio station and, uh, you know, we'd read your columns and we'd uh, make our silly little comments and, and in, a, in a way I could never have imagined that we would have you one day on a, a program like this and. I've been dying to come. Yeah, I mean, we've been trying to arrange this for a while. So. Oh, yes. Well, my, the, that thread goes back a long time. Yes, so it does. We appreciate it. Yeah, it's just by way of saying how I think we're both very uh, excited. Ex- yes, we're old. <laughs> God damn, we're old. And excited to have you here in our storefront studios only three weeks after we open up the studio. Thanks. It's a very cool studio, actually, and I love this part of the city. Uh, yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, it's, it's undervalued and underloved. Oh, it's rolling out quite nicely. Yeah. Um. Working for all those publications, how does it work in that world? Do they do they come after you? Like, no, 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 not like usually. a professional athlete, and it's like we want her. Um, well, I, I guess I've been uh, sort of recruited or headhunted once in a while, but mostly it's uh, 
always historically been a case of uh, I have a temper tantrum about something and quit in the half and then I find another job. So mm-hmm. that you can't do that anymore. So right. I've become, thank God, uh, a little calmer because it's much harder in our uh, incredibly shrinking industry to move as you mm-hmm. know and uh, you know there there's going to come a day probably when there won't be any jobs so well you've seen just as we have with radio you've seen you know newspapers and writing have changed a lot you know it used to be everyone physically touched these newspapers i don't know about you but i mean I don't, I don't read a newspaper the way we used to. You know, I, I was at my ex-wife's the other day, and I, I noticed she still gets the Toronto Star delivered, and I was kind of like, oh, that's cute. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I still get all four daily papers and uh, the New York Times on the weekend, but I don't actually read them. It's tragic. I read them online, mm-hmm. like everyone yes. does. So, yeah. you know, even the habits of people who earn their living uh, have changed. Well, Christy, it's the same with radio. And we don't use radio the way that I used to. I mean, I listen to mostly satellite radio, not just because we work on Sirius, just because it's the landscape has changed so much. Yeah, it has. Uh, yeah, it's funny. Uh, I don't hardly listen to radio anymore myself, except my the station 1010, mm. where I regularly appear. Um, but the only other time I listen is to uh, Sirius, to music. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I have to manage to somehow get that in my house. I know you can do it, but I haven't done it yet. Oh, yeah, it's quite easy with the yeah. app. Yeah. Um, nowadays with uh, journalism, you know, when I read the papers, uh, like, and you can compare this to radio the same way, where you're not hearing as much entertainment, you're not hearing the quality that you used to. What about young writers? I, I often... I'll read the newspaper and I'll read a column or an article or something and I'll think, you know what, I don't think that was written very well. Is this a problem? And does it go back to the schools or is it just because they want to go on the cheap like radio does? I don't know. I think there's still an awful lot of really good young journalists around. And I was reminded of this when I covered the Gameshi trial Mm -hmm. um, where, you know, Everybody, even the entertainment networks who never cover criminal trials were covering this thing. And, you know, there are a lot of really good young journalists, like traditional mm-hmm. old school journalists, except that they're in their 20s and early 30s. And they are all, uh, you know, much more digital. But there's still schools are still doing a good job. There are still great young journalists. Uh, the difficulty is that there are fewer and fewer jobs for them. You know, essentially, everybody has gone through several, every newspaper in the country has gone through several rounds of um, layoffs or voluntary buyouts, uh, and there are probably more to come. So uh, I'm not quite sure where the future is. We haven't found a way yet mm-hmm. to monetize the web. That's the truth of it. Well, and, newspapers haven't. And, and frankly, no, not, newspapers haven't. neither right. of radio stations. And anytime I'm prompted by whether it's the Times or some publication online, like you might go to a, the Chicago paper and want to read something and then you get that paywall, mm-hmm. I, I just dump out of it. Well, I mean, the Toronto Star is a great example of that. They tried it and they've abandoned it. Seriously? It, oh, yeah. Well, they tried their tablet. Yeah. 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 Uh, but they, we all tried so a tablet. So the, the Toronto Star doesn't have a paywall anymore? No. Oh, they used to, yeah. And the, no, I know. There used to be 10 articles, and right? it's a funny thing the toronto sun is holding on to this you're allowed 10 articles and then yeah. it keeps warning you and then once i hit the 10 i'm gone well that's not, what i was gonna say yeah. once i get asked mm-hmm. you know maybe I, I i guess i've got to 10 a couple times and i go well that's fine 
I'll just I'll just get this <laughs> and, story. And there are ways around in it a anyway. billion other places. Yeah, there are. All you have to do is Google the headline, and you get it yes. for free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I mean, <laughs> that's true. It's true. We, we are the architects of our of our own problems in mm-hmm. so many ways. I remember uh, probably twenty years ago now when both the Sun and the Star started the free giveaway papers on the subway. Yes. Metro in twenty four hours. That's right. And. You know, rarely am I right about this sort of thing, but I sort of intuitively knew that if you give people something for free, it's going to be very hard to make them ever pay for it again. And the rationale, of course, I was told by the people Mm -hmm. who are supposedly smarter than me, um, was that, oh, no, this would just give people a taste of the stories and then they'd be so Mm, intrigued they would go and buy the full product. Well, we all know that didn't happen. But didn't didn't it count as circulation, too? It wasn't that little side game with that? Uh, probably, these, yes. yes they, they okay. could pad the circulation, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I mean, in, in a world where you can't look at any follow-up you want on your phone. So imagine that subway rider looks at something in the metro and goes, oh, that's an interesting story. Yeah. I'll buy the newspaper to get the rest of it. And, well, that's not work. Now let's go, that's an interesting story. Let me Google it yeah, so I can read it on plus my phone. Plus, they were wildly convenient. They weren't too much paper, and they right. were a good size, and that's all you needed for your short trip. Sure. Why would it, you buy it? But you're, yeah. you're quite right. Mm-hmm. But it, it contributed to the notion, I mean, the real problem is that people expect things for free. They want mm-hmm. their music for free. I pay for serious so I get my music because I buy it Mm -hmm. uh, in my car at least Um, they want their news for free they want their television for free if they watch TV and somewhere along the line I wish we had been able to you know, tell people that you get what you pay for or you get what you don't pay for Mm -hmm. you do and you don't when it comes to um, Things of value, sometimes it's, it's, it is true, you do get what you pay for, except for the fact that who could have imagined, even 10 years ago, that these phones we have would not only have all the information we'd ever want, but they would have all the music we would ever want, and it's free. Basically, you know, I mean, if you want to get uh, technical, you still have to pay for some of it. But there, there, you know, when you see that thing on a video it says, "Oh, this uh, video is currently unable to download," and mm-hmm. you're, you know, always, I always go, "Oh, is it? Yeah, <laughs> let, let me find it in a thousand different spots." But I mean, remember, there's a there's a singer and a producer and I all know. of that. I mean, and you guys know this better than most mm-hmm. people probably. But there are artists who are depending on somebody at some point actually forking out some freaking money for their work mm-hmm. yeah. well the, but the paradigm of that has changed as well because it used to be you would sell uh you'd go on tour to sell records mm-hmm. now you just put out records so that when you go on tour you can make money yeah um if if artists didn't tour they the they're not making money the only person who's made money in the last few years off album sales is adele wow i didn't know that but i knew it was bad so Christy Blatchford. I'm going to go on tour then to sell my you should <laughs> you should well you could you have you know you have enough stuff Someone disliked Christy Blatchford once so much, they created a website called I Hate Christy Blatchford. Oh, yes. Yes, I know. Do you visit it? No. I visited it once. The, um, the, the, the creator of the website apparently called her the worst writer in the world. <laughs> That's pretty heady stuff, Christy Blatchford. Well, yeah, but in the scheme of the charming messages you get uh, in our wired world, that's yes. pretty mild. Uh, I also get people who, you know, wish cancer upon me or uh, death or, you know, depending on... So a long cancer struggle and then finally death. Yeah, well, or some people wish a short death upon me, too. And where does that come from, the fact that you're not afraid to write what you think? You've sort of... Uh, 
you know, turn your back off and on political correctness and just say what you want. And further to that, with your stature now, when you write a column, does it have to does it have to go through any kind of a filter? Oh, sure. Thank yeah. God. And thank God it does. Yeah. Jeez, yeah. It's not a filter. It's a series of checks and balances. And mm-hmm. even in... God, I've, I, I'm going to be uh, performing an indecent act upon this mic if you push it. You, you, you need to get as close I as I am. Yeah. 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 Ah, okay. Christy, you need to get very yeah. friendly with that microphone. Yes, I know, All but right. I don't usually. Um, I know. Uh, anyway. Um, well, we built this ourselves, so it's got... <laughs> So there's some excellent. Yeah, there's some quirky aspects to our studio. Yes. Okay. Um, now I've completely lost my train of thought. Um, no. Do you have? It's not oh, a yes. filter, but you. No. No. Yeah. And even in the sh- shrinking world of the newspaper, we have. I have an editor. There's a sub editor, as they're called in Britain, a copy mm-hmm. editor who, and they always catch mistakes. Sometimes, sometimes I've spelled something wrong. Sometimes I've got a fact wrong, etc. What people don't realize is even now in our lean mean days, we have those kinds of checks and balances. The guy writing a blog has nothing like Mm -hmm, that. That's That's why, A, it's illiterate much of the time. And B, it's so wrong factually. Well, I think what Fred was getting at, I think, is what about if you decide to write, and, and this is just a silly example, if you decided to write a column today about... You know, a humble and Fred and their storefront studio on the Queensway, and what a remarkable breakthrough! Uh, jokes aside, do you have to p- run that by somebody? Yes, I do. Uh, you know, I, there's some obligation on me to try and be of national interest for one thing, because my column appears in post media owned papers across the country. Uh, so I have to try and be. I, I'm not a local reporter, so mm-hmm. they would argue if I were to try to write that story, I'm just saying, they would mm-hmm. say, no, nah, it's too it's too local. You can't do it. So, so you yeah. still pitch. Who would care? Yeah. Well, no one, really. <laughs> Although, um, we are a national program. Right now, yeah. people all across North America and Mexico are hearing this fantastic interview. Um, I just wanted to ask, so, when you do, when you have an idea, whether, and, and obviously when you're covering a trial, and I want to get to that, but you have a notion, do you just send a note saying, hi, I have a notion that this might make an interesting article or a column. Are you okay with it? Or do you just start writing? No, I check with the, my boss uh, every morning and say, this is what I'm thinking of doing. What do you think? Or she says, how would you like to tackle this? And So I, what are you thinking about today? Yeah, exactly. So there, you know, my stature is I'm five foot three, mm-hmm. I'm afraid. <laughs> you know, and I always have been. <laughs> Yesterday, you wrote a column about uh, the election, and it was funny. It sort of mirrored what we had talked about, the fact that we were sitting there watching the election. And, of course, you have to preface it with, I don't agree with Donald Trump. And I yeah, yeah. Ba- you always have to do that. Oh, yes, people you are down your throat. But yeah. you more or less said, I sat there thinking, geez, I, I sort of want to want him to win. Yeah, I did. I was a bit but when you write, horrified. When you write that, are any part of you thinking, geez, if I write that I wanted him to win, even under this this situation... I'm going to get some backlash because you're not supposed to want him to win. It's funny. I was watching uh, the election results roll in with a friend of mine who is actually an American. And I confessed to her that, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, I was feeling as I was. And she said, well, you can't write that. Uh, And I had to write it because you have to be if I'm going to write about it, I have to be honest. Authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Or what is now called Mm -hmm. authentic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it it just really means being honest. Mm -hmm. 
So, uh, yeah, I knew there'd be some backlash, and I prefaced it with all the caveats you mentioned. Which you have to. We've got it. We've had well, to do it on this show, or you get emails. It's yeah, you don't get emails. You, you'll get yeah. death threats. If you... <laughs> well, well, we get a, we get a lot of like, hey, I thought you guys were funny. Now shut up about Trump. Yeah. <laughs> now, because because the thing is, it, it's it's because it's one thing to be a media observer, and at the same time, like I've said several times, I don't think he's less of a dimwit. Than I thought before, but it is fascinating to see how the machinery works. And in at some point during election night, I was like, "Wow, this thing's really going to happen." Yeah, I know. And yet, I was still stunned when it actually Absolutely. started to happen. And then, of course, because he's the underdog, then I start pulling for him. And then it was yeah, hard not to. It was hard not to, <laughs> well, especially when you watch the mainstream. When you, I was watching NBC. That one point, I said this yesterday to Fred. I said at one point they went to a commentator and they said, "Well, what about you, sir?" And they and the person was so gobsmacked. It was almost like, I don't know what to say. Because yeah. they were all not only thinking he was going to lose, but almost cheering for him to lose. Yeah, oh, for sure. Is there a problem with the media? Because this was a sub-theme during yeah. this election and even in Canada here. The media is left-leaning. They, they refuse to report uh, anything bad about the left and they're ready to uh, you know, go right up the ass of uh, somebody on the right. Um, is is there a problem that way? Is is the media left leaning in this country and in the United States? Well, um, to some degree, sure, because we are generally part of that uh, better educated. You know that the mm-hmm. Democrats, uh, when they when they denigrate the Trump supporters as a basket of deplorables, mm-hmm. they mean really people who aren't like them. Uh, so, you know, we in the press uh, have probably fairly decent education. We have still some of us fairly. Reliable for the next five weeks, anyway. Jobs, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. I, and I think if you grow up as a lucky person in either of our countries, then you are almost invariably from a certain conventional left-leaning stripe. So, I think that's true. But you know, uh, I think the problems with the press are are bigger, and they're tied to. You know, the the changing media landscape, how people don't trust, some people don't trust mainstream media anymore. People believe everything they read on the web. Uh, and it's very difficult to sort, you know, to sort yourself above that and mm-hmm. make people understand the differences between a reputable news organization and one that isn't. Um, and the other thing, too, is there was the problem of this kind of false equivalency that was going on with Trump and Hillary. Um Clinton has obviously a lot of baggage. She's a very flawed, she was a very flawed candidate, but she wasn't the naked lunatic that he sometimes is. So Mm -hmm. people would say, well, you can't look at her the same way. And yet they were people, the press was very, very critical of Trump. And my favorite line, sorry. No, go ahead. But David Sedaris, uh, and I always bugger this one up, but it was something like this. He said, trying to treat those two candidates the same way and this false equivalency of that, he said, it's like being on an airplane and the steward comes down and says, we have two choices for dinner. We have 
uh, the chicken, and then we have the ground glass with feces. <laughs> and, and some people are still saying, well, how are you doing the chicken? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it, it was a complicated yeah. election to cover. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I was having this long conversation with my 18-year-old yesterday who, you know, like a lot of 18 to 25-year-olds thought that the Antichrist had been elected president. Oh, I know. Please. But, mm-hmm. and, I, and, and again, I know one of the things is being a dad. I, have you, I don't know if you find this. Sometimes I'll... I'll be saying things and it's like they become they're so cliche and as I said yesterday you know one of the cliches doesn't make it less true the fact that you know those that don't know history are not only um, doomed to make its mistakes but they just don't have any perspective mm-hmm. I said this isn't the only time uh, someone who's never held office has become president this isn't the only time someone who's an outlier on the outside has done has done this it's just the only time it's happened to you and or in it, your life and it's happened in our new social media area right, yeah. right where, exactly where if this was 20 years ago that 18 year old this election would have come and gone even with the same controversy but just through the newspaper and it would have flown right above her head that's exactly what yeah. i said yeah. to her she said it's well you know because mm-hmm. she was talking about some of her friends saying well you know some of the same things uh, about trump uh, misogyny blah 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 bill clinton i said well the difference is when bill clinton and jennifer flowers and all those people were coming out of the woodwork prior to him being elected i said there was no social media you know, there was a couple newspapers, a few television channels, and so, and there was also kind of a... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what? Every time I talk about Bill Clinton, I think about what my great friend Tracy Nesley, who used to be a Sun reporter, said about Bill Clinton, and Monica Lewinsky in particular, and it was... What's the point of being the president of the United States if you can't get a blowjob in office? Yeah. <laughs> Hang on a second. In the But just think about that it, back then when they were talking about, again, the the sperm stains on a dress. And the guy's the, the president of the United States. If that story happened now with social media. Well, there'd be memes. Oh, can you imagine? Oh, there'd there would be, be, they, people would uh-huh. animate yeah. the sperm going on her dress. <laughs> yes, they would. Um, yeah. Okay, we have to take a quick break. Christy Blasford, do we have you for a few more minutes? Are sure. you here for a while? I'm here for All a right. while. All right, well, this yeah. is historic. It's Humble and Fred in conversation. With Christy Blatchford in the uh, Squatty Potty Studios, <laughs> are we going to get a coloring book for Miss Blatchford? Oh, yes, okay, we're going to have a. We have a. Uh, mm-hmm. Hang on, Phil. Sorry, because um, whenever I turn, it doesn't matter. Uh, Christy's going to hang around for a little bit. We'll take a quick break. We're uh, live, as you know, each and every day around uh, North America. And of course, around the world at humbleandfredradio.com. Come and visit with us in a second on Canada Live. Two, one. America at uh, Sirius XM and around the world at HumbleAndFredRadio.com. Great to be with you on this, uh, the day after the world didn't end. <laughs> a lot of people in hysterics yesterday. A lot of analysis. It's funny you talked about listening to Hannity. I, I'd forgotten. I wanted to listen to uh, Rush. Did you hear any of his? No, I didn't. It was funny. I was almost that way with uh, Hannity, too, because the thing is, I could have predicted what they were going to say, and I listened to some Hannity, and it was exactly what I thought. 
not to say it wasn't entertaining from his perspective. Mm-hmm. And again, not a fan. I just, you know, I appreciate his ability as a broadcaster. Don't agree with what he says. But. You know, it's funny. We have said that about mm-hmm. Rush Limbaugh and Hannity. Mm-hmm. I, I told you this. I can't remember if it was on the air or off, but I used to think Hannity was, you know, just another sort of right-wing, you know, babbler. On, on television, and it's funny, Christy Blatchford's here, and then when I heard Hannity on the radio, I thought, oh, I get it. He's just a guy doing his, his shtick. Like, he's just a smart guy who has figured out his act, because he's, he's a very, very good broadcaster. Um, you know who Patton Oswalt is? No. Nope. He's a comedian. And uh, you, you'd know him to see him, but one of my favorite tweets from yesterday says, what I've learned so far, America is way more sexist than it is racist. And it's pretty fucking racist. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of that? I don't think it's true, actually. Uh, in my experience, I like Americans. Uh, I don't know a whole lot of Americans, but I, I go to the States fairly frequently. And uh, I've never... I've never found Americans to be more sexist uh, than anyone else. Uh, I think their history of uh, slavery and racism is very real. That much I, I, I agree with. And every time I'm in the South, which being Canadian in search of sun is where I tend to go, mm-hmm. um, you certainly see the great divide between black and white still and, uh, you know, rich and poor. So... Uh, I'm not. I think America is probably if one is going to categorize it this way, and I wouldn't, but would be more racist than sexist, actually. But, but, but even from that standpoint, nowadays we just try to overthink these things. We were saying earlier today, Donald Trump probably got elected because there was just a lot of people that thought he might help get help help get them a job. Yeah, for sure. That I base, think, that yeah. simple. They didn't. They weren't thinking a crotch, a crotch grabbing or a woman president. They thought that person there might help get me a job, and that was the extent of it. Well, I th- that, and I think they. I, I think a lot of people, not just in the states, but in Canada, are tired of mm-hmm. being told by people who think they're smarter than they are right what to how to live and what to think and that their ideas are retrograde or whatever so i think you know the the catch-all phrase tends to be elites or whatever Mm -hmm. but it's very real i mean everyone is trying to tell people this is a you know this is mimical or nearly mimical and it used to be a strictly a blue-collar working hard-working area people raised their families in these nice houses around here and uh now it's like every other part of the city. It's becoming filled with latte sipping. I'm one of them. I mean, so but affluent people with different sorts of work. I mean, for a lot of people, globalization and the whole modern new economy has been really bad, really hard, and they don't see a way out. So I think you're right. I mm-hmm. think that's a real part of why he won. Christy Blatchford, over the years, writing for many different publications and 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 written books. One of the things, and I, I'm we're sort of skipping around a little bit here. But, you know, having read you for a long time, I'm sometimes struck by some of the places you have found yourself. Um, either on assignment Moose Jaw, or, for instance. Have you you've been to CFB Moose Jaw? Or? Uh, no, I was in Moose Jaw to cover Colin Thatcher's oh. Faint Hope hearing. I was there for six weeks. Within three days, I had a dog to walk, a place to go and do my laundry, um, at the newsstand on the main drag. Main Street, Moose Jaw. Yep. I would walk in and people would say, hi, 
Hi, how are you, Christy? It was unbelievable. It's the friendliest town I've ever been in. You know what Moose Jaw's little thing is? They call it, it, it for, I mean, maybe they don't call it anymore, but it's called the Friendly City because yep. we're just so happy to see people who aren't from there, possibly <laughs> so we can breed with you. And, um, and don't they I have, have no breeding offers. I'm just saying. Well, you, you know what? You no, know they have like nine Chinese restaurants, too. Like, uh, it's funny, on May School, my, <laughs> yeah. dad's, my dad's store was yeah. next to, was between two Chinese food restaurants. <laughs> Colin Thatcher and his uh, wife, what he killed and uh, a couple other people I used to uh, I worked at the golf course and Mr. Thatcher would come in and he I'd go get his golf clubs and it was just so strange he was just the big celebrity around Moose Jaw for, for when, sure from the time I was a kid mm. you know to all the way to you know there's nobody in Moose Jaw that doesn't have a Colin Thatcher story yeah I'm sure that's true yeah. um, but what I was going to say is you found yourself in some interesting places and and whether it was in Afghanistan or covering Terry Fox what I wanted to ask about, when you're covering something as disturbing as some of the things you've covered, for instance, let's start with uh, Paul Bernardo. How do you find, what does it do to you as a person, not a journalist? I'm more curious about mm-hmm. when you're Christy Blatchford going home at the end of listening to very disturbing material for a day. What does it do to you? Well, uh, I read about this actually in my book. Um, When I left the Toronto Sun, which was a couple of years after the Bernardo trial, I had to clear out my office and I started going through a box of Bernardo notebooks. I covered the trial from start to finish and it lasted about, uh, well, from May till uh, Labor Day that year. Um, Anyway, I started going through these notebooks. I picked one up and I started to flip through it just kind of before I threw it out to say goodbye. It was an important story for me. And I found all these pages that were stuck together and I thought, geez, wonder what I spilled there. It's weird. So I picked up another notebook and it was the same thing, the same thing. And I remembered only then that in listening to that case, I had cried so hard every day Mm. in court that my nose ran and the pages were stuck together by my snot, which is an unlovely image, I grant you. But Mm. it was uh, sort of shocking to me to remember that I had, A, learned to cry very quietly because you didn't want to disturb the court, but B, that I'd cried so hard that my nose ran uncontrollably. I mean, so it affects So that's you. the answer. That's it, the answer. It, it, it doesn't, you, you know, you're not that, that thing in, in movies, that hard scrabbled, you know, reporter, but, you know, you're a person and those are very disturbing, you know, things to hear and you can't help but be a human being first. Yeah, and uh, I'm lucky because by writing about it, as I did every single day, uh, and this is true now when I cover an unpleasant or awful court case, by writing about it, it's cathartic. The mm-hmm. mere act of writing about it seems to, for me at least, lighten the burden of, mm-hmm. of knowing all that stuff. The Bernardo stuff, as a journalist, did you see, like, video as well? well? It's funny because I, I have to remind myself that we didn't see what we call the attack videos, the, okay. the, the film of Bernardo and Hamalka, let us not forget Carla, um, attacking Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French and Jane Doe, um, or uh, Carla's baby sister, Tammy. Mm. Uh, We didn't see those. Those were under pub ban. But we had John Rosen's careful cross-examination of Hamalka, which lasted about three weeks. And it was so good and so detailed that you felt as though you'd seen those videos. We did see some videos of them because Mm -hmm. Bernardo was 
you know, he was uh, he was a preview of many of the people we see around us now, only in the sense that he loved taking pictures of himself and he loved videoing videoing himself. Do you ever think about him? No, uh, um, except the periodic, you know, times when he applies for parole or well, something. Well, you know, I, I have interesting. When I, my other daughter was in Kingston a couple of weeks ago, and she was asking me, you know, what should she do? And then it's funny. All of a sudden, you go, oh, yeah, Paul Bernardo was, I, I thought of him just from the standpoint of like, oh, he's still alive. Uh, the reason I mention that is, you know, we don't have the death penalty in Canada, but we've said this on the show a few times. Like, basically, all of us here and all of us listening are going to pay to keep him alive for the rest of our lives and the rest of his life. But yeah. don't, don't you think what he's going through is worse than death right now? I have no idea. I'm, yeah. And I, honestly, I, I'm not the slightest bit interested in him, except that as a reporter who covers criminal trials, I'm glad we don't have the death penalty because... You know, I'm glad that we don't. We have a chance if we've made a mistake to fix right. it. That that's all. With Carla, the deal with the devil, that whole thing. Having sat through the trial, that was that frustrating. That yeah, more or less walked. I mean, twelve years, but still, she walked. Well, she uh, she did sort of walk, didn't she? Mm-hmm. And uh, what was really frustrating about it, though, was again a bit of a preview of the world in which we live now, um, because she was treated as a victim. You may remember mm-hmm. she was the victim of her bad husband. She was she suffered from battered wife syndrome, or oh God, I can't even remember all that. She had post traumatic stress disorder. The, the Crown, the government made so many excuses for her conduct that they didn't have to do. They had to make a plea bargain. I understand that because at the time they did it, they didn't have the videotapes. Mm -hmm. But what they didn't have to do was to treat her as though she had, she too was a victim. Mm -hmm. She wasn't a victim ever. She was an eager lip licking participant in the sexual assaults and torture of those girls. Mm -hmm. And that was the outrage that women were infantilized that way. Um, so uh, let's take another couple of uh, trials. Most recently, you wrote about Jean Gomeshi. Yes, I did. Not to compare, but be only by way of comparison that you cover both of those trials. Uh, and I and I remember reading some of your uh, your columns about you know just the the, the woman that defended Gomeshi. Was, she is fantastic, brilliant. brilliant. And so, even though you may not, as a person, have you know whatever side you cheer for or not but you don't have you you did have the perspective that that his lawyer was brilliant well uh, that's because i was cheering for the presumption of innocence in that right. case which but had, you also took some heat for oh sure well. yeah but that goes with the territory uh, you know uh, i'm i'm not saying i'm untouched by it but it does go with the territory um in that case in particular uh, i i was very heartened and very glad there was such a good lawyer as Marie Hennon defending Gameshi because, you know, all of the presumption of innocence, which is supposed to cloak us all until we're convicted, uh, did nothing of the sort for him. He was ruined, not by what happened in court, by what happened in the press, mm-hmm. by social media, by mainstream media. He was pronounced guilty before the trial even began and I thought it was really important that when he I thought it was important to be there but it was an important reminder that we should not forget that there are sometimes people who are charged with heinous acts who guess what didn't do it Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that was a crazy one. And I mean, you know, it, 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 it's sort of like the Donald Trump thing. When you're in our position here sitting around this table having fun in the morning, sometimes it's easy to take shots. Sure. Or make that part of the f- the morning fun without fully appreciating what you could be doing to somebody. Well, yeah, but yeah. You, you would not be the people I'm talking about. I mean, of course, news is fodder for absolutely. For but, what, it, but it doesn't make it right, though. Even what we would, we do for sure, because you mm-hmm. know we we you know in Gomeshi's case and, and in Trump's case, or a lot of cases like that. You know, we're just trying to find something to have some fun with. But what was really disturbing, and again, that's why I enjoyed reading. Your, your thoughts during the trial because there was such a and we did it everyone we know did it that Gomeshi's the worst guy in the world yep. and he did all these things and then little by little you almost wanted him to have done it well and, for and, whatever reason and the fact is his his lawyer and I and I, I read a lot about it through you you know took apart the witnesses and the complainants uh, little by little till there was nothing left. Now, whether you still believe he was guilty or not, he was found not guilty. Yeah. But he is done forever, which is, you know, again, as a commentator and a media observer for many years, I wonder what he has. There's no coming back from where he went. No. Publicly. Uh, no, not. So what does he do? Not with not with crimes uh, of a sexual nature. You have child porn, possession, uh, sexual assault. Uh, you don't get to come back from those. You get to come back from a lot of other bad That's things. That's right. And, you know, my favorite example is, remember, the, the former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney, who took three bags of cash, yes. may I remind you, mm-hmm. uh, seconds after he vacated office. But he's now well on his reputation's been, it's considered sort of kind of bad manners for me to mention that he took three bags of cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I happened to cover his appearance at the parliamentary committee when he admitted that he'd done it. So there's no issue. So you can come back from yes. that. And it's interesting but you can't you come back from a, a, a sexual allegation. And mm-hmm. we've said that. We actually, I, I know we've used that phrase. There are things you can come back from. Well, look at OJ. Yeah. You, OJ came back from being accused of hacking two people's heads off. Yeah. And, and if he wasn't a complete moron would be walking around today but you can't come back from being accused of and even being found not guilty of what I know it's outrageous Uh, but but do you have a thought about what he might end up doing or is there a world in which he might find himself someday um, well I hearken back to and I can't remember her name now but there was a woman who worked for one of the big public utilities who got caught uh, in a, a minor sort of uh, expenses scandal. Anyway, she lost her job. Uh, very big headlines, especially, I think, in the star. Um, and disappeared for about a year. And then she resurfaced uh, somewhere in the United States where, to her credit, she had found a new job and she was earning money again mm-hmm. and it was all good. And, of course, the paper, the star, hunted her down and exposed that she had this new job. And... If Gameshi get were able to get a job at Walmart, I think he might be allowed to keep it. But mm-hmm. if he gets any kind of job <laughs> in the media, Imagine. he he will be the subject again of all these ruinous allegations. The most significant of which, remember, were found to be untrue. He was found not guilty, and it wasn't just that he had a good lawyer. I don't mm-hmm. want people to think mm-hmm. that because Marie Hannon is a great lawyer. She didn't just dismantle those complainants in that case. They blew themselves up with their lies, their omissions, and their conduct. 
So they were not credible. I remember listening to Lucy de Couture, one of the mm-hmm. best known of the three, mm-hmm. at one point testifying. And I remember thinking to myself, holy shit, what if he didn't do this? What if this never happened? That's how bad a witness she was. That's how little faith I have in what she was saying. And it's all blown to smithereens, too, with... The- and we keep getting back to social media. If he tried to come back and somebody did give him a chance, what kind of a chance is it? Because he'd be buried instantly. Yeah, yeah that's, that's my point. He might yeah. be allowed to work at Walmart, but that's... Yeah. And even as Christy's saying uh, about Lucy Ducoutier, um there's still most people that have forgotten that he was found not guilty. They still think he was guilty. Yeah, they think the system, uh, to use the Trumpism, they think the system is rigged. The system, it wasn't a technical acquittal. It wasn't mm-hmm. uh, because the women were unsophisticated. They were adult women when the alleged attacks took place. This was now 10 years or so, certainly some years, I forget now the details, but a considerable amount of time later, there were women in their 30s and 40s. For God's sakes, you don't mm-hmm. know enough about just Telling the truth? Come on. And you took a lot of heat for actually uh, being a sort of fair and balanced, to steal that from Fox News, but you, you sort of had a fair and balanced um, uh, observation of these events, and you took a lot of heat for not being on the side of women because you're a woman. I mean, yeah, it's well, absurd. Yeah, that's the I believe women, I believe survivors, I believe Lucy, all that, the hashtag justice, which says that because I have breasts, y'all have to believe me no matter what I say, which is such a crock. No, I that, am that's a why woman. I, that's I why know I women you. lie. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, is yeah. this is this true that you ate bananas for a week? Is that oh yeah, that, that was research? in my was <laughs> yeah. that in your youth? It was in my uh, my four years at the Toronto Star, and I went on something called the banana diet, and I uh, actually ate bananas. Some people actually ended up dying. You went on the that. banana diet. And what yes. was the point? Yeah, uh, I can't remember now. It was it a, wasn't to lose weight, or oh yeah, no, of course oh, it was to yeah. lose weight and uh. and to have something funny to write about. I guess I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't my idea. I can't. I imagine after a couple of days they go through your system pretty easy. Eh? I think that's my my memory of it. Yes. <laughs> um, your book, yes, life sentence, life sentence. That refers to my own life sentence covering the criminal courts. So that's what it's about. It's about the justice system. And you talk about how great the um, Gameshi's lawyer was, but you you have a problem with judges and well, what's uh, happening in the courts of Canada. But not the problems that people probably would imagine I have. It's not that I think people should go to jail for longer. It's not that I think there should be more people in jail. It's not that I think the jail should be more punitive. It's not that the sentences usually are too light, etc. My problem is that the process of picking judges is too secretive. Judges are the the judiciary is the only completely unaccountable institution left in Canada. I mean, remember 15 years ago, if a police officer shot somebody, mm-hmm. say a Toronto police officer, the Toronto police, not 15 years ago, it's probably 30 years ago now, the Toronto police would investigate it and then they'd come and say, ah, there's nothing there. It was fine. It was a clean shooting. Well, that practice ended a long time ago because police can't investigate police. Same with journalists. There's press councils and ombudsmen because we can't be trusted to investigate ourselves fairly. Nobody can. Mm -hmm. But judges still judge judges and only judges judge judges. And there's virtually no transparency to any of the judiciary. And that's my issue. 
Christy, hang on one second. Uh, we're going to take a few more minutes of your time, if you don't mind. Sure. In the meantime, Fred, let's talk a little bit about our friends at FYI Music News. Across this great land, this company is uh, taking a look at the Canadian music scene in a way that's refreshing and, and enlightening and anytime. Yes, this week, fyimusicnews.ca, five questions with David Usher. Hey, there's a feature on Denise Donlan, who we know and has been around the city and is still married to Murray McLaughlin for a long time. FYI Music News, it's news, opinions. They have today's new track, so you can stay in touch with what's going on uh, musically across the country right now. FYI Music News, a journal about Canada's music industry. I don't know about you, Fred, but every day, elimination is just that much easier. That's right, Christy, you're about to hear some poo talk. Can you imagine we're about to talk about the wonder, the revolution that is the Squatty Potty? I don't know what you're doing, Christy, but whatever it is, if, if you're not using, uh, if your uh, colon is still kinked. My like, colon is unkinked. And really? It is pink and beautiful. Well, beauties. Uh, well, then you must be using the Squatty Potty, available at Amazon.ca, uh, BedBathAndBeyond.ca. Canadian Tire and SquattyPotty.com. There's a reason it was one of the most, um, one of the biggest episodes of Shark Tank. And uh, millions of North Americans in America and in Canada are unkinking their puberitalis muscle and letting it all go in a way that was, uh, yes, Christy, that's what we're talking about. Okay, good. It's sort of like um, using a Squatty Potty daily. It's sort of like eating bananas for a week. Perfect. Yep. Yeah. Um, Free and easy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Make sure you... Uh, have a healthy colon and a happy life. Squatty Potty. The official, we're in the Squatty Potty studios. That's right. This is how we make a living now, Christy. <laughs> we're like a mom and pop shop. Mm-hmm. Um, Christy Blatchford, you've come in here. I think you've uh, you enjoyed the fact. I knew you'd enjoy the fact we have a dog at work. Absolutely. Um, it's funny because I've had Stan for almost four and a half years and he's come to work with me, even in the old studio, almost every day. Although this one, he barks a little bit more here because... It's his house, it's too. It's his house. In the old place, he used to sort of make a little noise when someone would come around the corner, but now he's full on dog every time someone comes to the door. But it's mostly because he just wants to hang out. Yeah, it's featured he's, every day on the show. He's incredibly cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a, good, uh, he's a good boy. The ladies love my Stan. Well, I know. I'm telling you. So you you do have a dog now, you were saying? I have my OB, my English Bull Terrier. Right. And, who looks uh, like a pig crossed with a shark. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, and uh, do you take uh, OB to work? Well, I work at home, too. Oh. So uh, right. OB is with me most days at work. I mean, when I'm in court, I, obviously he's not there, <laughs> tragically. Um, but uh, many days I'm at home. So It's nice. Yeah. Um it used to be, obviously, you'd go to the newspaper and have your little area where you would write. And everything. Do you miss that environment? Or did that environment go sour like it did in radio stations, too? Um, well, with the pressures and the economics, it was just like, I, this isn't a fun place anymore. Well, um, 
I used to love the newsroom. Mm-hmm. I worked in the newsroom at the Star and the Sun and the Globe in my first incarnations at all those places. Um, but when I went to the National Post, it was then in Don Mills, and I was covering courts downtown. So I didn't have time at the end of the day to battle uh, traffic on the DVP. So I started working from home. At the same time, you're quite right, newsrooms were shrinking. And uh, the Post now has moved down closer downtown. The newsroom is much smaller and actually pretty collegial, I think. But I'm, you know, I'm now accustomed to working in my own office. So uh, I, I've just continued to do it. So was Howard. Well, yeah, and well mm-hmm. I was going to say, but Fred's referring to a time when radio stations used to be these fun places. Oh, yeah. Newsrooms were, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I used to get the sense that the sun mm-hmm. and, the, and, oh, yeah. uh, and the star, you know, there was like a... It was like fun to go to work. Like the watching ha- uh, Lou Grant. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, the, and the halls were filled with people arguing and being creative. And then, you know, I don't know. I The last radio station I worked at in a building was the, I guess, the it was at St. Clair and Young. But it just wasn't quite the same vibe anymore. No, it's not. And part of it is that, you know, just every, things have changed. I mean, I remember when sports writers, I used to write sports. And you'd go on the road with a team and, you know, sports writers would be out, you know, in bars drinking and stuff. And now, of yeah. course, they all work out and drink bottled water, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, the world is We changed. used to drink during the show. Were, were you not? And I'm glad you brought that up. You were a sports writer, a female sports writer in Toronto in an era where that was different. Mm-hmm. Were you not embroiled in some sort of dressing room controversy where you weren't supposed to look at their penises or something? Or well, uh, I... <laughs> Please. Who knows where I'm looking? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Harold Ballard, who was then right. the owner of the Leafs and the Gardens, uh, banned the first wave of women sports writers from going into the dressing room. <laughs> Can you and, imagine? Oh, yeah. It was ridiculous. Uh-huh. But, but in fairness, when I was getting into dressing rooms in, in other sports or in other cities, I used to have the practice of removing my glasses because I'm, I can't see right. at, at very well distances. And I didn't trust myself not to look so i just mm-hmm. took my glasses off i couldn't look and and i had heard stories that some athletes their reaction to it was to make sure you saw them naked oh, did you have a, to go through that too? a very few i don't even yeah. remember who they were most mm-hmm. athletes because they were like the i was then they were young they didn't give a damn who was in the dressing room they were polite they mm-hmm. you know we, the the issues were never with the athletes. The issues were with the managers and owners, mm-hmm. and and they were small issues for the most part. Right. You know, one of the things I, I wanted to get to, and and we're going to have to wrap up. We're we're live on Sirius for another couple of minutes, and then what what do, do you have? Like ten more minutes for us? Or yeah. You have to? Okay. Sure. Um, it's fun. So I don't I don't want to rush to get to this Afghanistan thing because Afghanistan. You know, I I'm I'm very lucky. I have a friend who's a good friend of uh, a guy that just flew the last. He was in Afghanistan for the last six months flying helicopters. And oh, I've gotten I to love know, helicopters. Well, he, he's a, uh, a major in the, in the forces. He's a great guy. I've flown with him. He's a, he's a pilot. Mm-hmm. And um, just hearing his stories about, you know, Afghanistan and, and being in Kandahar, when was, when was the first uh, time you went there? And what were your first impressions? Um, well, two couple of things happened the first time I went there, which was, I think, in uh, April of 2006, April or May. Um, the first morning I woke up, uh, the press in those days, at least, and I think all the way through, the embedded journalists stayed in a tent. And it was an air-conditioned tent, of course, uh, on the base. So you, I think I woke up at 5 or 6 in the morning. 
unzipped the front of my tent and honest to God was almost knocked to the ground by the heat and the brightness of the sun already. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. just incredible. It was Mm -hmm. so hot. And the other thing was there used to be a thermometer in the press area. Uh, which measured the temperature and it hit 50 degrees Celsius and oh. then the thermometer broke and never worked again. <laughs> um, so, I mm-hmm. mean, it, it, it was, that was my peaceful time with okay, the well, I want to hear about, we're going to talk a little bit more about Afghanistan. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, a couple of things. Check out our podcast at humbleandfredradio.com. Check out Christie's latest book called Life Sentence. You can buy it wherever uh, right-headed people are selling uh, books these days. <laughs> So you go to uh, Afghanistan, and um, what about the, what would you, what, what, what don't Canadians understand about the men and women that we have there? Well, um, first of all, that they're volunteers. Uh, they, there's no conscription in this country, so mm-hmm. they're there because they want to be there. Um, secondly, I think just how tremendously capable they are. I mean, this blew me away. Just being, you know, I know it's the military is plenty integrated. There's lots of women, even in the front lines and in combat, but it's still a predominantly male environment, and. It's easy when you live in a city where none of us can do really bugger all very well, from changing a light bulb to changing a tire, um, to be with a group of people who can drive anything, fix anything, cook anything, uh, you know, who handle weapons, who are unembarrassed to be, first of all, overridingly competent and capable, and then also to be men. Um, so I think people under people think that the military is a place where you go if you can't get another job. And sometimes it is. I mean, there are lots of, lots of Maritimers who have very little opportunity economically in their own provinces, so they do join the military. But their education doesn't stop there. I found Canadian soldiers to be thoughtful and bright. And, you know, if I were, uh, you know, a private sector employer, I would look for a military mm-hmm. service on a, mm-hmm. a CV because it tells you so much. It tells you that these people work on teams and stuff. I love it. Committed. Um, yeah. what, were you? Were you ever? Did you ever feel unsafe? Oh Christ! Yes, I was uh, on the my second uh, tour in the summer of. Uh, I guess there were two of them in the summer and fall of uh, 2006. Uh, you know, I was out in the field. I didn't stay on the base. That wasn't the point of being embedded and. Uh, I was in a three-day gunfight in which a Canadian soldier, Tony Beneka, was actually killed. Um, what I do you mean you were in the gunfight? Like, where yeah. were you in proximity mm-hmm. to? Well, I'm with the, the soldiers. I was with uh, Char- Charlie uh, Company, I think it was, Bill Fletcher's platoon or group. And uh, we were going to the Ardengab River area where the Taliban was well-established and... Uh, uh, we were under fire all the way there. We were in a light armored vehicle, a vehicle I came to love because it's pretty bloody safe. Um, but, it, you know, on roads that often have IEDs buried in them. Um, and then when we got there and the next morning we went out uh, to comb the... Uh, and we, I'm unarmed and I'm just following these guys. So you're in full gear. I'm, well, I'm in a, a bulletproof vest that doesn't fit me very well. I'm wearing a helmet. I'm carrying my backpack and I'm following soldiers. 
And it, are they annoyed by having to have a bunch of press with him, or are they, they fine? Didn't, they didn't have a bunch. They would have only one or two with each group. And uh, no, they were tremendously unconcerned by our presence, except okay. that they, I think they did, particularly when it was a woman, they they would look out for us, uh, which is to say if I'd fallen, they would have picked me up. Right. Um, so anyway, we're out through this. It was a glorious morning, I remember. And, you know, I remember we passed this uh, abandoned uh, compound and I saw these little beautiful rabbits, uh, long-eared rabbits. And I remember thinking, wow, it's so peaceful. And then somebody, somebody started shooting at us. So the soldiers then start running, of course, to meet the gunfire uh, and return the gunfire. And I'm I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just following them. And that battle lasted, in the end, it lasted almost three days. Um, I left uh, shortly after Tony Benaka was killed because I wanted to get back to the Kandahar base to write about it, and also, frankly, because I was scared to death. I mean... Mm -hmm. uh, How often are you thinking, why did I do this? (laughs) I never thought that. No? I just thought, oh, let me get out of this. Uh, It it was too exciting to... Mm -hmm. to But when you say the the battle, you mean it's sporadic? over three days there were shooting at you guys no 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 it was uh, that day uh, it was pretty much a, a, a gunfight that's what the soldiers call it it was and how and how you stayed that, at a camp in the area that we weren't night? no there was no camp there was where did you what we, happened all night like, well they I would have had to change my diaper I did have to change my diaper <laughs> I had what I had what is famously called a battle crap be- An excitement dump power. Yeah, well, when you're mm-hmm. terrified... we got to get those. <laughs> when you're terrified... I yeah. bet. Your, your bowels void spontaneously. It hap- it's called a battle crap because it often happens to... You shit, to, your pal- you shit yourself. I No, I, I, I dropped my drawers and deposited Oh, my I see. You, it wasn't spontaneous. But I, I, I did this. Right. I did this behind a line of Canadian, young, gorgeous, lovely, bright mm-hmm. Canadian soldiers who, thank God, were busy shooting at the Taliban and Jesus didn't Christ. see... I hope to this day. So you you went, oh, we're under fire. Hang on a second. I have to poop. <laughs> I didn't say a thing. <laughs> I, Christy Blatchford <laughs> finally stuck into Humble and Fred's web of poo smudge. <laughs> hey, I was there first before there was the squatty potty baby. This All was right. 10 years ago. But that, oh man, I, like I can't imagine. I'm such a suck. I, like I can. The gunfire back and forth. Oh, and there was, you, you know, know we going. there were RPGs and all, oh. all sorts of things and I couldn't tell what You're looking at Two men right now that would have made the the the, the worst sounds. We'd have been like <laughs> screaming, eating. Um, Actually, you wouldn't have because you get so scared you can't scream. So mm. while the battle was going on, do you have? You say for three again. I keep getting hung up on three days. When do you eat? Do you have a time for a snack? Um, Are there battle snacks? No. Well, they have MREs. Uh, meals, MREs or what? Meals ready to eat. Okay. Uh, you and know. They, have, they say, hey, guys, can we just stop shooting for a second? I'm a bit peckish. No, no. Mm-hmm. At a certain, after Tony Benecka was, was killed, I left. But uh, the night before, for instance, when we, we'd we been under fire, they were in the, they went out when we got to our little, it's just a place where you stop and set yeah. You don't even set a tent up. We just parked in mm-hmm. our light armored vehicles. Wow. They all left. The soldiers all left and went to fight that throughout the night. And they came back in the morning. And I should have gone with them. But at this point, I'm so shell-shocked I didn't. I just sat in by myself in the, uh, the wagon uh, or the vehicle, uh, just numb. I was 
you know, not you afraid that somebody could come from yes. another direction yes. and do something? Yes, it's I like, was, ah. but I thought I was well, safer there. This is why you and I are not going to battle anytime now, soon. Now, did you get to know Tony? No, I oh, only, okay. I, I mean, I saw him when he was right. alive, but I wrote about him afterwards in the book I wrote about soldiers in Afghanistan. Uh, that book came out, I think, in 2008. Um, he was a great kid. He was from Thunder Bay. He was a reservist. He was with the Lake Superior uh, Regiment. Um, and I, part of the thing in that book was uh, interviews with uh, soldiers who, on the following Remembrance Day, went up to visit his parents. Mm, and, oh, you know, I mm. mean, they are tremendously loyal and sentimental, these guys. Um, other than my friend who... Uh knows Major Lyle and used to be Captain Lyle who uh, flew uh, I want to say uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a Griffin helicopter mm-hmm. um, I got to uh, know General Hillier mm-hmm. uh, a couple times I've hosted some things where he was speaking General Rick Hillier um, former chief of the defense staff of the Canadian Forces he kind of taught me I, I got a chance to watch him speak and, and meet him about three or four years ago, I was hosting a corporate event, and he and they brought him in to speak to their company. And um, I, I really was—I knew who he was, but I wasn't sure what he was about. But he made me love the Canadian military because he loves it so much. Yeah. And well, when you hear him speak about it, you can't help but have a feeling of pride for our Canadian men and women that fight for us in a way that I hadn't really experienced before. Yeah, he was a well, he was a very unusual CDS. Mm-hmm. There has not been his like since. And they love him. Yeah, well, soldiers love him. Yes. I don't know that the brass always loved him because the soldiers do. Yeah, the soldiers do, and that's the only thing that matters. He's a plain-spoken Newfoundlander, uh, and there is nothing better than a plain-spoken Newfoundlander mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. my dough. So, I agree with you. He, he didn't... My only regret about uh, Rick Hillier is he didn't stay longer. If you ever get a chance, just to... If, you ever, if you're ever... If seeing him in person is great, but just the way he talks about our Canadian forces is really inspirational. Yeah, he's poetic. He's poetic, and he's like... He's funny, and... Uh, and um, it's funny. Uh, a couple years later, last summer, I had a chance to be with some soldiers that were raising money for uh, post traumatic stress, and and just I, I actually just brought his name up at the dinner, and these guys just went off. They just love him so much. Yeah. No, I just think about what those guys have to deal with over there, and and, and then you talk about being afraid and being in a gun battle, and it's fifty Celsius. Yeah, like it's. Like I, 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 I think I pretended to have heated, or I think I pretended I was dehydrated once to get out of it. Uh, I mean, honestly, like I can't it's, imagine that. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. they don't. They don't do that. They don't mm-hmm. pretend to be dehydrated. Only civilians yeah. do that. In they're, our last couple of moments, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is going way back now. Um, you know, understand that one of the things after a lifetime of you know writing about all sorts of different. Events and uh, one of the things you still think, uh, or according to this research, that you're you're most proud of writing about the day that Terry Fox ended his marathon of hope. Yeah, I wasn't. I I. <laughs> I loved Terry Fox. I had spent a week with him shortly before his cancer came back and he had to end the Marathon of Hope. So I'd just come back from a week with him and his brother and Bill Vigors, who was the Canadian Cancer Society guy. And uh, I had that story about just there was a little boy um, Greg Scott I think was his name who had the same kind of cancer Terry had and this little boy and his dad had come up to meet Terry Fox and we were in near Terrace Bay uh, on northern Ontario on this gorgeous lake 
I was with a star photographer named Boris Primo, who was a great mm-hmm. photographer. And there were still lovely pictures of this little boy had never taken his prosthetic leg off in public before. He'd never taken his hat off to show his bald head from chemo. And he did those things with Terry. And it was he was Terry was a wonderful man. Anyway, so I come back. I get a call from Bill Vigors saying who was crying on the phone saying Terry's cancer is back and the star this was in the heyday chartered a Learjet and flew Boris and I back to Thunder Bay and we got there just in time for Terry's press conference and he was wheeled in on a stretcher he sort of got up and walked to the mic and made a little speech and talked about how he was ending the run and then he got back in the stretcher and they took him out to the airport and I remember vividly because the week before when I'd been with him I thought he's going to live forever he's mm-hmm. he's going to defy everything he's so beautiful and so great and now he was so sick that a big northern Ontario fly was walking across his face as he lay on the stretcher and he was too tired too weary to wow. wipe it brush it away it broke my freaking heart anyway the reason aside from how wonderful he was it was one of the few stories I remember my first sentence and my first sentence was he gave us a dream as big as our country mm-hmm. I, we still can hardly talk about him you know? crazy eh? wow and and it's interesting because when my kids, you know, growing up in middle schools and public schools and, and and having experiencing Terry Fox Day through them and and to them it seems like a long time ago, but to those of us of an age, you know, I remember distinctly when that was happening and and it's one of the quirks of, you know, aging that my kids think of Terry Fox in an abstract sense and then here's somebody like yourself who has a very visceral can, can, uh, a still visceral reaction very much. to what and, he meant to our our country. And the irony is that run started with very little fanfare, right? It hardly oh, yeah, there was it no- was hardly noticed. So, what flipped the switch? And like, when did you become involved? Um, well, uh, about a, two weeks, a week before his cancer came back mm-hmm. and the run ended. But I had been watching the progress of mm-hmm. the run through eastern Canada and Quebec. Uh, so I was already hooked on this guy. Mm-hmm. And I think people, I think just the press attention, pre, right. pre-social media, suddenly people realized the magnitude of what he was doing. He ran a marathon every day on one leg. Yeah, I mean, think about crazy. it. I've run four marathons mm-hmm. badly on two legs. Mm-hmm. And, and I ran them by the way, in part because of what Terry had done. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he was a life-changing guy to meet uh, or even learn about. And, mm-hmm. and he was very young. He was young, but nobody ever says. I, I was only a few years older than well, him. How, he was day. in his mid-20s? Yeah. Like 26. 26. I was probably, I don't know, two or three years older than him. He was, or maybe five, I don't know. But he was gorgeous, too. I mean, he was fit and he was sunburned and he had beautiful freckles and bright smart eyes and he was crabby a lot of the time because he was hurting so mm-hmm, much mm-hmm. you know uh, I run up and down these stairs I get crabby yeah exactly he was a great Canadian well listen Christy Blatchford what a pleasure to uh, have you in this studio and I know I've I asked Fred because he was going back and forth with you emailing I was like when are we going to get her in and we were wondering and worrying and, and uh, it was all I think I'm going to speak for you. It was all we thought it would be, and I hope you've enjoyed it. I have. It's been, it's been really fun. Thanks for playing up Thank the you. time until it, oh I could gosh. get organized we could to still, get here. We could still, I don't know, we could talk to you all day, but you know, we got things to do. At some <laughs> point, you'll fall asleep. we got a business I mean, to run, for God's sake. Oh. 
The uh, latest book for Christy Blatchford is called uh, Life Sentence, and uh, you know, hopefully this won't be the last time you come and hang with us. I hope not. Bring your dog. We'll go on a little walk. Yeah, my dog's very mellow, too, so Stan would like him. Mm-hmm. Stan gets very, very excited about other animals. So does Oak. All right. Uh, Thanks, Christy. Thanks, Christy. Thanks, Thanks right. very much. See you, everybody. Fun fact, Blatchford was Canada's first female sports columnist, reporting on sports between 1975 and 1977. I'm Toronto Mike. I produce Humble and Fred. If you want to hear more of me, I host a podcast called Toronto Miked. If you go to torontomike.com and click Notable Guests at the very top, you can cherry pick an episode and just check it out, see what you think. There are plenty of Humble and Fred episodes to choose from. Thanks for listening. Peace and love. This episode of Humble and Fred was brought to you by Bodog, Gig Sky, The Retirement Sherpa, The Chambers Plan, Health Gauge, Hush Blankets, Relaxacare, and DraftKings. For Humble and Fred, I'm Dan Duran, and don't forget to keep the show going by licking them, uh, liking them, liking them, like, and subscribe. Yeah.